Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! <laughs> Another day, another week, another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Here we are again. Troy, I'm always happy to hear your voice. Well, I am always happy to hear your voice as well, Roger. It's been it's been a minute. We, we're, we're still pretty much on schedule of getting episodes out on time, but I honestly needed <laughs> I needed all the time in the world <laughs> to watch this film and think about it so i understand uh, I, I know i can i mean i i know we had mentioned recording this you know a couple you know and i was like i can't i i really cannot i have to watch this again yeah i told you because i just oh god this movie is so, uh if it, 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 it you think it's going to be one thing and then it becomes something totally different and it really you can't just watch this film one time and expect to get the whole thing uh you got to revisit a few times and even in saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that you or anyone will like the piece i definitely think it's an acquired taste um but i do think it very much captures the time frame the period the style of cinema of that era and uh, i'm excited to talk about the film uh for today's episode it's possession from 1981 and we're going to get into that there in a second but I do want to go through the basics, the how do you do's, with my good friend Troy, who has had some uh, big news these last couple weeks. Uh, big things are coming. Big things are coming, including, as we've talked about the last few episodes, your big film festival is about to hit here any week now, right? It's actually next weekend, the oh 20, June 25th through the 27th. It's finally happening. It's finally happening. Uh, you know, it was supposed to take place last year. It got canceled due to COVID. We still did the film festival part virtually, mm -hmm. but this is the first year it is alive. And let me tell you, it, the response has been amazing. We have sold a lot of tickets. There's going to be a lot of people there. Um, people are coming from across the country. It's it's really overwhelming but it'll be a great a great weekend i think yeah i think people are aching for it i mean like we could say what we want to say but at the end of the day a virtual meet and greet just cannot compare to the experience of meeting some of these amazing iconic uh, individuals who have built their careers up within the, sh the horror genre and beyond a lot of them are, are actually celebrities outside of just horror you've got a really impressive lineup as i've said before but it's you know it's finally here and I, like i said i think people are really um craving this kind of social experience after what we've gone through um and i i think it's going to be fantastic i'm so excited for you i wish i could be in houston um, but you know, I'm, I'm loving you from afar and I'm sure you're going to have a really great experience. Um, and one of your last great experiences in Houston before you got some other big things coming up. Yeah. You were right about the whole film festival and, uh, be in person. It, it just virtual, this virtual stuff does not compare. And I, I've heard people say, well, I'd love to keep things virtual. No, the, it's the experience is not the same as a filmmaker who has had the opportunity to be at a film festival in person 
with an audience, it just doesn't compare. So yes, so I'm excited. These filmmakers are excited and um, it's going to be great. The other thing I have going on is, yeah, I, I am. Houston's been home for a while now, but it's time to start a, the next chapter in my life. And I am moving back to the Midwest in August. I accepted a, a librarian position at a high school back in my hometown of Davenport, Iowa, uh, where all my family's at. So I'm super excited to kind of get back to them and be back closer to family. I'm kind of sad leaving the friends and the, you know, the, the job I've, I've had here for a while, but excuse me, like I said, it's a new chapter and I'm, I'm ready to tackle it. Um, I'll still be involved with the Houston Horror Film Festival because, you know, 95% of the work that is involved with that is done, can be, is done at home or on your, virtually on your computer, or you're doing all that stuff, making contact with people. So it doesn't require me to be in Houston. So I will still be in part of that. And, and my co-festival director is, will still be here. So the things that need to be done in Houston will still be done. Um, and I will come back and visit and come back for the festival. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it gives you a great excuse to go back, I was going to say, to Houston. I'm, at least you have a set reason to want to come back every year. So in a way, you know, you're not, you, you know, you're not moving away for good. You've got a, a set reason every summer to get back there and see all these people you care about and celebrate something you care about, which is the horror genre and something that cares about you as a filmmaker. So that's that's great. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited. And let me think. Anything else going on? Hmm. <laughs> oh, I dropped the poster, a teaser poster for my next film. I was waiting. Right. <laughs> what else? What else? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm a huge fan of it. You know, you when you first shared it, you were like, I don't know if this is going to be like the final design. I'm going to wait and see the response. But gosh, when you dropped that poster, I think it was quite a positive response from um, your support circle and your fan base and everything. It seems like they really dig it. I really dig it. So I think you, I mean, what a great note to start off on when you're announcing a new project. Yeah, the, that, no, the, the, the poster is really cool. It just has a completely different vibe than the previous three film posters, uh, which people kind of got used to kind of the style of, of posters that, that I, I, would, I would get done for my films because for the first three, it was the same poster designer. This is a different guy, Stephen uh, Gilliam, and he does his style is completely different, but it, it it's really cool. I love the 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 color, the atmosphere it creates. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with it, and yeah, the response has been great. Hopefully, the response to you know the film and eventually whenever it's done, yeah. Is good. Well, I'll say I feel that your poster art. One of the things I've I've always felt about your poster art, not to you know, stroke your ego or anything, but you, um, you've, there's a certain level of quality. I always f feel that you've hit with your, um, promotional material. And I, I don't feel like this is any different, even though it's a different artist, I think it still maintains the level of quality. I love that the title, like the, the font, it just looks very, uh, intentional and well-designed and good on him, whoever designed it. I don't know him personally, but I was really impressed with it. So I'm happy for you. That's an exciting, uh, stepping stone, towards moving into your next project whenever that may be yeah and thank you i appreciate that it'll be fun trying to it'll be fun filming a film out of out of texas too because I, I plan yeah. to do it you know back in the midwest and yeah i do think it's super important that if you uh, want to be taken seriously um that your promotional materials teaser posters need to look professional as possible that's just yeah. me saying that i've seen where that's certainly not the case yeah. uh, and to me, it's, it'd be hard to take a film 
project seriously if their poster looks like it was thrown together on, you know, publisher uh, or Photoshop in a matter of five minutes. It just, I don't know. That's just me though. Whatever. I mean, you and me both brother, we're on the same page with that. I'm all about promo material. I'm a, I'm a big fan of when it's done right. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, that being said, good times, exciting things for you, new projects. Um, I'm excited. I, um, my next project, we're about to drop a trailer, uh, here in the next uh, few days, uh, kind of going off the, the buzz for my film rebirth. Um, we decided that we're just going to drop our teaser now and kind of get moving forward with, um, production for our next feature domestic. Um, here out of Cleveland. So that's something exciting and something to look forward to. I'm really happy with the teaser. It's kind of just showing our um, overall improvement as a team and the improvement in the sense of what we can pull off, the scale of it, the quality of it, the camera work and everything. It's just you know, showing where, how far we've come since what we worked on last, which was Rebirth. So yeah, just something to look forward to among many things. The summer is uh, off to a good start, don't, yeah. don't you say? Um, I, think, I think so. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really good about all the things we have to look forward to. One thing I'm not necessarily feeling good about is talking about a scene in a movie in which a woman miscarries a, uh, in front of us, a full sequence of just a, a miscarriage. That is not <laughs> something I've been looking forward to talking about. Uh, but somehow we're going to be discussing a miscarriage today, among other things, uh, as we discuss the 1981 Mind fuck of a movie. Possession. Possession. Today we're talking about possession. And you know what? I just felt like I wanted to do something of a di- very different vibe than uh, the last few. You know, we've, we've been, you know, in slasher territory a lot lately and everything. And I just wanted to do something uh, very different. And oh boy, did I pick something different. <laughs> you you did. Uh, I had never seen this before. So this was a first time watch for me and I was just like flabbergasted in terms of what the hell am I watching? What is, you know, um, and yeah, so we can, let's dig into it. Cause this is going to be a, an interesting conversation. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. I absolutely agree. I've been, uh, I've been excited to discuss it in a, in a different way from the last few because I do think that this is one that we're really going to get have to get kind of introspective with this movie. Um, there's a lot of like symbolism and, and imagery and and uh, I don't want I guess depth to this film that is just um, like I said before it's a movie you've got to watch a few times before you can really kind of understand I think what you're wrapping your mind around and I think for viewers who've not seen this movie beforehand, we always encourage you to watch it before you listen to our podcast. But this is one that like, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't necessarily know that you, yeah, you, yeah, you may want to watch it because I guess the ending is shocking, I guess. I mean, but this film, I think we're going to try to explain things that you've got to see I don't, to understand. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I agree. So it would be a good idea if you if you can track yeah. it down to watch it. Yeah. That was the problem. It's hard it's to very track surreal. down. It's uh, very surreal. It's very surreal. But I just mentioned it. It's hard to track. It's hard to yeah. find the film. Period. It there, it's it not streaming. Um, it's not. You know, there was a DVD or a Blu-ray release a couple years ago. I don't know how readily available that is, but yeah. um, it's not like a movie that it's not on Tubi. It's not on Amazon Prime. You can't stream, you can't rent it on digitally. 
we were just lucky to have copies of it, right, Roger? So yeah. we 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 watched it, obviously. But again, if you haven't seen the movie, you could listen to this podcast and decide if it's something you want to see because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an acquired, it's an acquired taste. taste. And the, re- the reception to this film has been very, very mixed. Uh, I think over the years, though, there is some sort of respect that has been developed for the film. But certainly when it first came out and when it did de- when it debuted at Cannes Film Festival, it was super, super, super divisive, very divisive. Yeah. I can see that, um, and it's almost it's it's very it's very genre blending. It's not a horror movie, a straight horror movie by any means. It's it's there's it's blending so many genres together, and the movie starts out very much as a marriage story, a marriage deteriorating story, yeah, and then it transitions into something else, and then it transitions into something else, and then it transitions into something else. It really is a bunch of hodgepodge of just stuff, kind of thrown together to see if any of it sticks was my impression. And I'll say that. And then we, now we can talk about the movie. Yeah, no, you, you know, it does. It, it, it swings drastically from tone to tone. And at points, there's moments that seem very like over the top. Well, a lot of it's over the top. Oh, it's very over the top, very over the top. But like, I mean, there, you've got one element of the story. That's like a spy, like, like the lead male played by um, Sam Neill. He's a spy. And that one of the reasons that I'm confused that you can't get your hands on this movie is because Sam Neill is like a very well-respected actor. We we all know him from Jurassic Park, The Omen 3. I mean, he's... And he is adorable. Oh, he's so cute. He's a daddy. Oh, God, Lord God. have you mercy. Just see his I was just for a minute. It looks real good. Yes, I was. Yeah, well, actually, there's a scene where he's naked, and I, I I'm going to admit it. Being the being, you know, I was trying to. I rewinded it because the the way he turns, I was like, okay, you might be able to see his penis. So I tried to rewind it and freeze it at the right. I felt like a little <laughs> fucking little thirteen year old boy. Uh, but I was like, damn it, you can't really. See. All of your fantasies from like when you were young, growing up, watching Jurassic Park over and over on repeat. Right. Like, <laughs> But but he is so he is super cute in this film and he uh, there's a scene where he's like all sweaty. Oh my yeah, God. you know what's funny? I will say about this is like his performance in this. I mean, yeah, when we use the term over the top, we are not exaggerating. This movie, uh, they, they go bigger than, than they go subtle, like in most cases. Um, and you get a good performance from Samuel. You get a really good performance, to be honest. But sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, these responses are so big. Uh, so much larger than life like it's hard to really gauge like where they're coming from or what the intention is behind it um that being said though like i am still a big fan of what he does with this film but i feel like i get a a very jack nicholson-esque kind of vibe from him at times as i watch this which is funny because at times with the um the character of anna the wife who was played by um Isabella uh, Ajani, um, she uh, taps into almost what I would say is a like Wendy Torrance kind of portrayal, almost like wide eyed. And when I think of like the performances of the two actors from The Shining, and I think of like the two extremes of Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson, I almost see like at times a similarity in those highs and lows and where they're reaching from. Does that make sense? Am I, am I translating that? Well, it just seems like very extreme at times. It's I, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I don't think that Isabel, uh, Janie's character is nearly as 
annoying as Wendy Torrance is. She's certainly <laughs> not the, well, here's the, here's the difference in the characters. Uh, Wendy Torrance is Shelley Duvall's portrayal of Wendy Torrance because it's, it's a completely different character in the book. Okay. If you've read the shining in the book, you know that she, the Wendy Torrance in Kubrick's film is not the Wendy Torrance in the book. The Wendy Torrance in the film is a very like meek, whiny, um, not, she doesn't really stand up for herself. She's just kind of the, 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 the obedient wife who's been beat down by her husband for, for, for many years and is just kind of subservient to him. Uh, Anna in this film is the complete opposite. Right. She is, she's powerful. She's a independent woman, although she's fucking nuts. She's crazy. She, <laughs> she, she is at least she's a strong woman that is not afraid to stand up to her husband because th- there are, there are so many arguments and fights in this film between those two. It is just ridiculous. It's wild. It's wild. And it's hard to really gauge again, like where the characters are coming from. And I guess with that comparison, it was more in the sense of like, the, the delivery of some of the dialogue and almost like the the extremes that they're reaching into. Like even early in the movie, there's a scene of them laying in the bed where they're kind of talking about like their relationship crumbling and her vocal tones. And maybe it's just something about this like early 80s sound and audio that lends to that where it sounds like it's, it's this exaggerated style of speaking where she's talking very with these weird breathy pauses. And everything is sounding very intentional. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's just more, I guess, maybe the, the performance style of the era, but it very much carries through the whole movie of it. It just feels like straight out of the 80s. It feels straight out of the early 80s. And it, it, it from the, the wardrobe to the locations to the sound of it to the score it is very much a time capsule of that era. And I appreciate that about that this film. I do enjoy that aspect of this film, of when it's set and where it's set. Um, and it, so it focuses around this couple of, um, of Mark and Anna who you opening credits, you're launched right into it. It is clear that their relationship is on the fritz. Uh, you come into this very vague conversation, um, between the two of them where you're kind of getting hints right away, um, that she's very much pulling away from him and he's really trying to figure out what it is that she wants. And this is something that carries through the whole movie. Yeah. The film starts. It's, it, it, it's very interesting the way the film begins because the film does begin with a, a um, dialogue between he's come, he comes home from his, he was on a secret spy mission apparently. <laughs> so he comes home and he meets her out in the street. And like the, the first dialogue you get from him is, uh, something along the lines of you got to tell me, you know, do you know, do you know yet? Do you know? And she's like, no, I don't know. And you're like, what are they talking about? And then it becomes very obvious. They're talking about, she wants to leave him. Um, but she does not know necessarily why. Um, and just from there, just the film kind of starts out, like I said, very much like a marriage in peril film. Yeah. One thing I'll say, I think it was really intentional to make it clear to people that they're going to be getting something <laughs> at some point is it during the opening credits, which are pretty abrupt. Um, you have a big title card that comes up like the creature design. Like it's, it states yeah. like who does the creature design. And it's very, yeah, yeah, I did. I did notice. Yeah. That. And it's like, okay, there will be a creature. Like just, just wait, just wait. And there is a creature, but not for a long time. Um, 
Yeah, and and uh, really early on is when I kind of started notice noting these uh, like the Shelley Duvall kind of uh, comparisons in the sense that you get this very wide eyed performance from her at f- uh, the first few scenes. Like, yes, she's not subservient, but her entire performance, her eyes are the size of dinner plates, and she always has this kind of like just shocked, glazed over look to her, which makes sense as the movie progresses because something is going on and there is an underlayer to that. But she's stunning. She's absolutely yeah. stunning. The camera loves her. And um, the, they, they, they make it very clear that they're having not only intimacy issues, but overall it's just, it's implied heavily that she's falling out of love. It's, and it's pretty tough to watch, even in these early scenes, because he's really just like trying to, to get more information from her. And she's being very vague, but very blunt about the fact that she's just, it's not there. She's done. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a line in the bed. They're laying in after the after the opening scene. They there's a scene of them kind of watching. There's they have a son named Bob. I don't know what it is about early '80s horror films that have little kids named Bob. Bob is not a little kid's name. It is. I don't. It's just weird seeing a little kid, <laughs> a little toddler running around there. Bob, Bob, get 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 out of the bathtub, Bob. I'm like, I guess maybe at that time in the '80s it was common. Uh, because because just, because now I mean all those yeah. bobs have grown up and they're all grown adult men <laughs> so I don't know I but you're right but there he's in the bathtub playing and then it cuts to them in bed and they are having a conversation about why she's falling out of love with him and she he Blake he blatantly well she asks him if he's been unfaithful to her and he's his answer is not really which he doesn't elaborate on right. like if I was his wife I'd be like what the fuck do you mean not really what does that mean but she doesn't answer him she doesn't press it because honestly i don't think she cares yeah. uh and then he says have you been unfaithful to me and she right away says no i have not which we find out is a lie um but then he's she's there's a line I, i'm trying to remember exactly what it was i should have written it down but he he um she's like do we do you do you care about me or anymore or do you have feelings for me anymore and he looks at her, he turns and looks at her and he says, well, would you even care if I did? And she says, no, <laughs> and turns o- turns around and, and just faces the other way. It's it's tough. So it is tough. It's tough to watch. It's, it's, it's and, the, and the whole movie is like that. Like, I'll say that right now is, is the entire film you're watching the depletion of this couple. Um, and, and it's not something that's going to give you light and fluffy moments. OK, this is this is a tough watch beginning to end. And it really revolves around just, like I said, the depletion of not only their love, but what's behind it and and what you assume is behind it versus what's actually causing it. Yeah. Um, we have the scene uh, where Mark goes to visit basically his employers. He is a secret agent. We are basically, we, we <laughs> come to such, find out. Which, it's such an uh, it's such a weird job for him to have because honestly, and I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm putting this out there. It really doesn't do anything to drive the plot. Like, there's no real reason he had to be a secret agent. Except, I guess, it gets him away from her for extended periods of time where she does have this time to maybe fall out of love with him or cons- or reconsider their relationship. It's just a really weird job for this dude to have. Yeah. It's just I'll say I think the only other thing that it applies to is later on in the film, there are points where he has to do some sleuthing. He, yeah. And, and he has to do some cover-up. And it comes very naturally for him to do it. And I think that is 
knowing about his career and what it is, I think that's why we can just kind of see these things unfold and not be like, hmm, how would he know how to burn down a body uh, or burn down a building with bodies inside of it, which you'll learn happens. Um, well, you know, <laughs> you could, yeah, you're very, I mean, that, that makes sense. Like, again, I don't necessarily think he had to be an agent for that. It, maybe the director was just like, oh my God, I always wanted a secret agent in a movie. <laughs> This director's wanted a lot of things. He wanted he and he put the, he put he put it all in this movie. Like I said, um, yeah. So the, yeah, he's getting questioned at the by his employers, and they're asking about like his mission and stuff. And he is making it very clear that he does not want to continue this particular assignment. That they need to get his successor, and they are not having that. They're not real happy with it. And before he leaves, he gets up to leave like really weird. And I know it has some symbolism because it's it's shown at the end. He's like, does our subject still wear pink socks? And then it just cuts to a different scene. And I'm like, what? what? But I guess it does come into play at the end. So, sort of. In, in a weird, in a way that doesn't do anything. There's no point to it. It, it does. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of that scattered throughout this film. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I think the reason I, I say for people to watch this multiple times is more to find these like little tiny subtle moments or pieces of dialogue or like what you just said about his piece of dialogue where he says, not exactly, not really. Uh, there's all these little things that you can pick up uh, into hidden meanings, I think, behind the overall message in this film and what's really going on. You know, well, I don't e- I don't even know if I still know what's going on. This <laughs> yeah. But on, one thing I do want to say is um, that whole sequence, uh, the, the way they filmed that sequence uh, where he's sitting with his employers. Um, it made me think very much of like the handheld cinematography you see from like Rob Zombie in Halloween Two, um, mm-hmm. the sequence with Malcolm McDowell walking through uh, the series of like corridors and everything. It's all it's all handheld. It's like a Steadicam esque kind of shot moving around this whole like room and winding around the characters. It's really well filmed. This movie is very pretty. It is. It is. It's, 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 it's pretty, but it's a very drab looking film. There is the color palette is very drab. It's a lot of grays, browns, blacks. Uh, it's, it's very drab looking, but it is very depressing to, to look. It's a depressing looking film, which is very fitting. It is. And there's one color that pops and it's red. I'll say that. So, um, uh, basically, we, we basically learn that Anna has, um, is running off and she's staying where she claims it's downtown. And Mark is, is, is very much working overtime to get her back. And he's, he's doing whatever he can to prod for information from her. And he, he gets her to admit that she's been seeing someone else. And, and he assumes she's staying with him. And um, uh, you get some really good acting from him in these sequences. I will say that. Yeah, he finds a postcard, actually, from Heinrich, who is the guy that Anne is having an affair with. He finds a postcard that's stuck in a book. He's he's looking at one of his psychology books or something, and a postcard falls out. And it's, it's, from, it's from Heinrich to Anna. And it says something about, you are my... I can't remember. You were the you were my life, or I can't. Whatever. So that he is, he then calls Anna's friend Margie, who we get to meet Margie. Yeah, Margie's a what the hell is wrong with that woman? But uh, he's like, (laughs) you know, she'd been having an affair, and he's like, no, I I, that's something you got to ask her. Blah blah blah. So he, he she. Anna does call Mark back, and then she does admit that she's having an affair, and that she enjoys. 
because he starts questioning her. Do you, do you love him? Yes. Do you want to be with him? Yes. Do you like sex with him more than you like with me? Yes. Uh, she's very honest. And the next scene, he, he begs her to meet him at a restaurant downtown. So they do meet uh, at this fancy looking restaurant and they're sitting awkwardly. Like they're not sitting together. They're not sitting across from each other like you would expect. He is sitting in like one booth face, you know, by himself facing the the dining room. And then she's sitting kind of on the other side facing the other direction. It's real weird. Yeah, I I was thrown off by the uh, composition of this sequence. But again, this is another one that's shot really in a very unique way. And I really like the way the scene was shot. And I think that just adds to like the separation between the two characters. Um, the fact that they're, you know, they're shoulder to shoulder. They're not even looking face to face. Um, during this, what progressively builds into a massive fight, um, and in which uh, they finally kind of just unleash on each other, and Mark flips his shit and physically begins to chase Anna through this restaurant. Oh, he's throw he's knocking chairs over. He he throws plates at her, and this is a public restaurant, yeah. and. You're wondering because it's never quite established if he has he obviously has a very violent temper. And so you're wondering if he has been abusive to her in their marriage and that could be possibly one of the reasons why she is is so adamant about now leaving him and being out of love with him because he really yeah it's it's a very disturbing scene how aggressive he is with her chasing her through a restaurant he doesn't care that other people are there. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's explosive. It's explosive. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's just wild. And it, it, one thing that I'll say about this movie is at first you don't know. I mean, if, if you were to ask me, if I were going into this blind and you were to show me the first 20 minutes of this movie and ask me who the protagonist is, I would have no idea because he's so irrationally hostile towards her. And I mean, yeah, she says some pretty horrible things. Neither of them are really likable right off the bat but um his his violent streak is just instantly uh, uh on full display um and so um th- this whole sequence culminates in him getting tackled to the ground by a bunch of chefs i mean there's like three chefs atop of this man um and then it does like a hard cut to a sequence of him just sitting on a bed like completely like scrunched over it it's such a drastic cut that I actually questioned whether or not it was Sam Neill at first. I was like, is this another character in which he's kind of having like, kind of like a break? I, I, it seemed as though he was coming off of drugs. I thought it was like a seizure. He is like, li- like laying in bed, like moaning and like starts convulsing. Uh, he can't, he's trying to talk on the phone and he can't even talk. Like he can't even get words out. It's like mumbling. Yeah. And then he literally gets into bed and just starts convulsing, like shaking, convulsing, like he's having a seizure. And then he's all sweaty. And that's what I'm saying. He looks Mm -hmm. really sexy. Um, So, yeah. So it's weird because I just didn't understand what what was supposed to be happening with his character. Was it a mental breakdown? Was it actually like a physical response to her, you know, her decision to leave him? Was it... Actually, it can a seizure. Who knows? Who knows? We could talk about it all night, and yeah. we probably still wouldn't know. Yeah, I think one thing with this film is you hear a lot of things. Like you'll see something happen, and you won't fully grasp it, and then you'll hear a piece of dialogue, 
in a scene afterward that kind of is like a piece to the puzzle where you're like, oh, mm. this is what was happening. And so in a scene following, he, um, he, you know, he has this whole sequence where he's having this breakdown and, and he finally goes back to the house um, to see his son. And he finds his son there alone. And um, the kid has been apparently feeding himself for quite a while he's eating jam out of a jar and cook and cookies and the house is like in the midst of disarray and so sam neil and sometimes seems to have passed at this point you know i i it's this thing this movie moves at a rapid pace no that's that's another thing i was going to mention about this film and i have a note and since you brought it up i'm just going to kind of reiterate the fact that this film's timeline is very confusing very suspect you really don't get a good grasp of how many days have passed or how much time has passed between scenes well because when we find him he's got full stubble and then a woman pops her head in the room because he's staying at like an apartment um and a woman pops her head in the room and and he says how long have i been here and i think she says three days and was it was it who was that? Her? That wasn't her, right? That's just like no, a random woman. I think in the it hallway. was just some random person in the yeah. hallway, right? Because she's very soft focus. And again, this movie is all over the fucking place. But um, but so you know, several days have gone by since he had this whole moment where he basically blacked out with rage, attacked her, was tackled to the ground, wakes up in his bedroom. Days go by. He goes back to the house. Uh, well, they have a loft. He goes back to the loft, finds the kid eating jam. Um, instantly starts cleaning him off and inquires, where the fuck is your mother? Why is she not taking care of you? And the kid's like, she's been gone for a few days. Or so what it seems, you know, it, it, she's been gone for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's the kid, he's basically like, daddy, <laughs> I want to show you the boat that my uncle Hendrick got me. And he comes out with this massive, lavish, huge wooden boat. And this makes Sam Neill enraged because this basically shows him that this kid that his son has been seeing this man this other lover Mm -hmm. so he's been in his house he's been in you know his life when he's been away um and this pisses him the fuck off and so he waits there in the house for anna to come back rocking in this rocking chair it's again oh my god he the most dramatic it's he's like full rocks he does yeah he does if you if you watch his mannerisms in this film he really does some really weird things interesting choices he makes for this character uh throughout the whole film he has these little quirks to his character and this is one of them he is literally like sitting stiff straight up in this rocking chair and rocking as far back as he can super fast just rocking rocking and then she comes in and as he's talking to her he's rocking more aggressively and he's telling her he tells her basically that he he's taken over the apartment and yeah. he has to she ha, she needs to end things with Heinrich if she wants to stay living there. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she <laughs> it's just yeah, this rocking chair is very distracting. Yes. It is really it's very large rocks exaggerated. There are times that you think Sam Neill maybe is the one that's like in a state of possession in this movie entitled. Yeah possession uh but he, he very large rocks and so he gets up and they get into this huge another altercation they have so many arguments over the course of this movie um mm-hmm. but uh, he, he confronts annie and tells her that she has to leave as you said and it culminates in that argument where it seems at the end of it they still kind of confess their love for one another 
Because he basically says mm-hmm. that he's, he can't go without thinking about her, which is kind of what I was assuming that whole breakdown he had. Like, I think it's like a, it's basically like a toxic relationship is kind of the vibe I get with this. Like, it's a very violent, manipulative relationship, but they keep coming back to each other. And there's so many times over the course of this movie that you think, why are they not done with each other yet? Why are why, this? This should clearly be the end of it, but it never comes. And I think that's one of the big pieces of this is it's a very toxic relationship. It is a super toxic relationship. Uh, he puts her in bed, and during the middle of the night, Heinrich calls the house and he answers the phone. And Heinrich, you don't really, you haven't met the Heinrich character at this point, but he says, Anna's with me and she's not coming back. And so he lays back on the bed, and you see that there is a note from Anna on the pillow. That says she is going to talk to Margie. And so uh, Mark calls Heinrich back. And the, the, the mom, he lives with his mom. <laughs> and he's like a 50-year-old man that lives with his mother. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just weird. So the mother answers the phone. And she's like, Anna's not here. She hasn't been here for weeks. Weird. And so then it, because you're like, where has she been then? Because she's been, she keeps yeah. going out and not coming home. Where has she been? Well, you find out here in a little bit. <laughs> But um, the next day, Mark takes Bob, little Bob, to school and runs into Bob's teacher, who looks exactly like Anna, except she has green eyes to the point where he like, he's like, is this a joke? And he starts grabbing her hair and he's like, is this a wig? And starts trying to pull it off. And she's like, oh, no, it's not a wig. She just laughs and the, it, she, she doesn't even care that this guy's like pulling her hair. <laughs> she's, she's flirting. But it's real, yeah. So now you've introduced this like Anna doppelganger character, which. Right. Right. So, uh, so when he instantly, you see there's like a, a, a chemistry between these two characters and it is a very unique choice that she is somebody she's, I mean, she's played by the same actress, you know, it, it's very obvious, but in that does come into play later. Um, <clears throat> But, um, so he's continue, he's continuously sleuthing over the course of this time period, finding new tidbits about Anna, what's been going on while he's away. And, uh, it eventually, it does lead him to Henrik's home. And we meet Henrik. And, like, as if this movie was not already strange enough with the weird editing choices, the pacing, the characters we've met, Henrik takes things to a whole other fucking level. Henrik is a character who, like you said, he's an older man that lives with his mother, but he's apparently like well off. And he's like a, like, like, like a hippie. Like he's very into like meditation and yoga and things like that. And he does all kinds of psychedelic drugs and he's always on them. So his performances are always very exaggerated and progressively more and more so over the case of the movie. Can we talk about the amount of homoerotic touching in this scene when he first meets Heinrich there? I was, it's, to me, it's very blatant. I don't know if that's what they were trying, where they were trying to go with it. I, to me, they had to have been because it is very. Yeah. Very. Well, and it's not the first, or it's not the only um, homoerotic or homosexual, honestly, element no, it's of the not. movie. Like, the thing is, this movie, 1981, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to lean into this film uh, for this for for this episode, is it has a few it does. queer it elements. It does. And, and they're approached well. I, I think thought they're so. unique. Yeah, I yeah. thought so as well. I was I was surprised. Uh, but no, there is a lot of like homoerotic touching. Hein- Heinrich is touching 
yeah. um, mark pretty much everywhere. I was like, are you going to take his dick out and start sucking it? Is this where this is going? Because I'd, I'd watch, but I'm just saying, is this where this is going? Because it sure seems that way. And then his mother like comes His mother comes home. And his I'm like, mother, oh, this is breaking that. You just, you just ruined, <laughs> right? You just ruined the fantasy, you old bat. Go, go back to bingo. <laughs> but so they, uh, through this conversation, he, um, he, he confesses through this very elaborate and drawn out <laughs> discussion that he's been banging Anna for the last year. Um, and he's like asking all these awkward and forward questions uh, and, uh, in very like dramatic fashion. And Mark finally just breaks. And and when he gets the answer of yes, that he's been having uh, sex with, with Anna, he um, Mark tries to basically like beat his ass. Like he tries to fight him, but Heinrich apparently knows like Juzipsu ju- <laughs> like fights him in a, like a very elegant like <laughs> swift move. He brings Mark to his knees like he all we, I mean all yeah all we have to say is that Heinrich beats the shit out yeah. of Mark to the point where his nose is like gushing blood. Yeah. And then Mark tries to like choke him and then Heinrich like manages to bring him to the ground again. Yeah. And it's it's very unexpected. It does not go at all the way I expected this sequence to go. Well, even no, even the choking when he's choking um Heinrich, they are like face to face like like an inch and I I was like I, they're going to start kissing. Yeah. I thought that's where it was going, but no, he starts choking him and then yeah. And then he knocks him out and picks him up and carries him out of his apartment. Uh, and then the next scene is Mark comes home and he basically confronts Anna. She's there now. He's like, where were you last night? And she's like, I was with um, Margie. And he's like, no, you weren't. I called. And they have this horrific screaming yeah. match. And she, he tells her that basically he doesn't care about Bob, that he's going to leave her. He doesn't care if he sees her anymore because what's the point of even being a father if you're only going to be like a part-time father that was just that's what he meant by i don't care about bob anymore um she it's very intense this is a very well acted scene he she tries to leave he won't let her she slaps him and then this scene is super disturbing because he beats the fuck out of her punching her slapping her blood is just just gushing out of her. her mouth um, it's very like parallel to him just getting his ass kicked by Heinrich, but now he's doing the ass kicking. She finally gets out and he chases her out in the street and like, she turns around to yell at him and just blood is like pouring out of her mouth, her lips busted. It's really, really disturbing. And again, my question is this could not, this cannot be the first time he's done this to yeah, her. You don't wild. just go from not abusing your spouse to just all of a sudden beating the shit out of her and throwing a fucking plate at her in a restaurant because she's leaving you. There has to be this, this has to be behavior that has been plaguing this marriage since day one is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely doesn't seem like, um, like, uh, when, when he does hit her, it doesn't seem like a, a moment. Like that's like a first, a first time in a relationship. Like he hits her, there's a pause, he hits her again, he hits her again. Like it seems like something that has been happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because she doesn't seem all that surprised by it. I mean, it's not like she is like, how, how could you? She doesn't seem surprised. I mean, it's- well, and when you look at this relationship and you look at like the overall development of the story as it goes on, is it very much seems like she's someone who wants to, you know, get out of this marriage. 
for whatever the reason, you're trying to find out the reasons. Uh, you know, you're trying to really piece it together wh- why things have gotten to this point. And he seems very obsessive and very controlling and very, it's very clear that he won't let go. Though he says, he says that he will at times. He, he very much makes a series one after another of just wild, wild decisions that seem very unstable. So like I said, it's hard to really figure out who the, antagonist is in this in this film and at this point he's very much seeming like the bad guy because he beats the shit out of her and and she runs from the house he follows after her she's bleeding all down her dress uh he he chases her into the street and he causes a massive car accident (laughs) like he causes this like semi-truck carrying a bunch of vehicles to overturn it's wild like their their relationship is just so destructive yes yes it's it's horrific and then the next scene you do get introduced to to Marge, uh, Margie, who is apparently Anna's only friend, even though she seems like she's like twenty twice as old. And it's just an odd scene because she like takes his sweater from him, and then she's like, "Oh, I love seeing you, miserable Mark." Yeah, it's clear these two do not like each other. It's very weird. Uh, but no, well, yeah, but there's a scene later coming up that I'm like, yeah, it's so strange. I think kind of like, I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't explained. First of all, Margie's in a in a, a, a leg cast the entire film. I don't know why. <laughs> Second of all, I I wonder if if part of the reason that she's so willing to um, take care of Bob and everything is I wonder if Margie is kind of starting to see some of Anna's instability. And if if any if any of this is tied into how she responds to certain things, um, because yeah, she shows up and it's clear like they have a weird like dislike for each other, but also she's like going to be staying at their place, taking care of the kids. Sometimes it's very weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very weird, and you get very little exposition or understanding of what Margie's exact placement is in the story. Yeah, well, because after this scene, Mark goes to hire a p- private investigator to follow Anna. He wants he wants to private that's he wants a private investigator to follow her. When he gets home, Margie is passed out in his bed, and she he sees her passed out and he actually puts puts her in bed and puts the cover on her he goes out into the living room checks on bob but then goes back into the room with margie and lays next to her and like cuddles her yeah and this makes me wonder if this is a moment because it doesn't seem like a sexual thing so much no it just seems i wonder if this is something where they both acknowledge that there is something going on with anna but, but no because she's fast asleep She's not even. Yeah, but then she wakes up and she wraps her arms around his waist. She, she. I think it's like to me, it was like wasn't like it wasn't like she woke up and like recognized that he was. I think it was more like, you know, if you're sleeping and somebody comes in the room and you're you're not even awake and you just kind of uh, mumble and turn. I don't think that. I think that's what it was because she doesn't acknowledge really that. Hey, why are you getting in? for somebody that she supposedly hates? I would assume that she would have been yeah. like, "Get the fuck out of my bed! What are you doing?" Yeah. Yeah, I want to act like I know exactly what goes on with this sequence, but to be honest, I don't. <laughs> I have I to this day I don't know what Margie's purpose is with the story. I don't know why she has that cast. Uh, I want to try to explain it, but I'm not. I'm not able to, and so I'm not going to try any further. She's in his bed. She she spoons him. Cut to the, the next, next scene. scene. Anna coming back in the morning to make breakfast, and she repeated. Mark's trying to talk to her, asking her all these questions, and she keeps yelling, "Excuse me." Everywhere, everywhere he goes, excuse me, 
Excuse me. Listen, bitch. If you're going to be in this house, you better not be playing these games with me. This is nonsense. This is unhealthy. Well, I think mean, she's making... She, this scene is just so weird because there's dialogue in the scene. He keeps asking her all these questions and she's not having it. She's giving like one word short answers. Uh, he's like, do you love me? And she shakes her head. No. Are you afraid of me? She shakes her head. No. Um, and then he, she, in the meantime, she's pounding this meat. <laughs> Not in a good way. She's, she's sawing it with this little, like electric then, knife. Not little. And then she she's shoving it in the in a meat grinder, so you're getting the noise from the meat grinder and just sh- random shots of this meat coming out of this grinder while she's doing it. Uh, after he asks her if she is afraid of him, and she says no, she randomly takes the uh, it's an electric knife and cuts her throat with it yeah she like goes right for the jugular i would expect blood to be spraying but somehow she misses out on anything vital but again it's a very weird sequence in at this point it's really clear that her acting is becoming very off like sporadic and like her responses everything is like it's almost like she's struggling to maintain like normalcy or, or or deliver any normal reactions or responses. It's and again, knowing what you know as you progress through the movie, I know that that has something to do with it. But she's losing, I guess, her grasp on reality progressively more and more with every scene. So this whole sequence leading up to this fight, her re, her her responses, her reactions, everything is very strange. She's like giving these really aggressive nods and and uh, not really using full words and. It's, it's just very uncomfortable. So she saws into her neck. He grabs the knife from her. He bandages her up loosely. I would think blood would be spraying from the wound. But, you know, apparently just a bandage will do. And then he proceeds to cut himself in the arm with the same knife. Yes. Well, she, well he, bandages, he bandages her neck up. And then he goes out into the kitchen and starts cutting his arm. He cuts his arm like three or four times with the same knife. Uh, and then he... She comes in, uh, in the room and she looks at him and they have like this awkward look for a minute. And then all she says is it doesn't hurt. And then he shakes his head. No. And then she's like, I have to go. And she leaves and she gets on the subway. And now this private investigator guy is following her. Uh, he follows her onto the subway. He is the worst private investigator I've ever seen in my life. He is not discreet by any means. He at all. At all. He's sprinting after her. Beside and, her. And then there's just this weird <laughs> scene where she's sitting on the subway with her grocery bag and this like homeless guy or somebody sitting sitting next to her and she's just staring and he reaches over and takes takes the bunch of bananas out of her grocery bag, takes one off of the, the bunch and peels it and just eats it. He's And she's just sitting there. She doesn't even act like she notices this guy. Just, <laughs> It's never, it's addressed never addressed again. again. I, <laughs> it's never addressed. You think this man is maybe somehow involved or something, but no, he just eats her banana very like suspiciously eats her banana. And the detective manual is watching this the whole time. And he's very much like, this is weird. Like he's taking it all in, but yeah, he's really bad at what he's doing and he's tripping oh my God, and yeah, once, stumbling and running. Once and, she gets off the subway and she's headed to this, you find out that she has an apartment in this like old decrepit apartment building and he finds follows her he there is no attempt by him at all to try to pretend that he's not following her he goes right up the stairs behind her and then after she gets into an apartment he rings the um doorbell and 
She doesn't answer and he pounds on the door and it opens by itself and he goes in and he sees her standing there and he basically tells her, I, hey, I'm I'm with the building, I'm the maintenance and I'm here to check the apartment because there was, um, what's he say, a window was yeah, windows broken, broken and she needs to find out which one it was. And he's, she's like, oh, there's no window broken. And this apartment was just, it's just a dump. There's no, it's a hovel. There's no furniture. The b- holes in the walls. I'm like, Who wallpaper that? peeling everywhere. All the blinds are down. And then she wants to tempt him with the, tempts him with a glass of wine. And he's like, I can't drink, ma'am. He's a very weird stutter, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. He has like three points in dialogue where he likes to, 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 to stutters like it's very it's he's a he's a character i wish they would have explored more manuel but um yeah she tries to lure him with wine and he's like i have children at home (laughs) yeah and then she starts laughing hysterically in the kitchen while he is um while he's looking around this this apartment and she even drops the wine bottle so it shatters and she's like oops it broke uh and now this is where the film is just takes a whole different direction yeah. because he approaches this room and looks in the room and there is a creature. Yes. It looks like an octopus, like a octopus. <laughs> That's all I can, it has tentacles and it's like every time they show it, it's like, you can hear the, this like, it's like, <laughs> and it's tentacles are like flapping back and forth. And he's like, oh, what is that? And she approaches him with the wine bottle, the broken wine bottle, and proceeds to stab him in the neck with it and kill him. Yeah. It, 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 All while this creature is in the bedrooms flapping its tentacles. Yeah, it's flipping and flopping. And it, it, the movie <laughs> takes a drastic turn. And this, I, w- I saw this and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. We go from literally a marriage story to fucking creature from the apartment complex it's yeah it looks like a, a big starfish <laughs> vagina well i had to stop it i'm like what 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 yeah. yeah 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 this is the point where the movie like definitely does delve into the horror territory so if you were doubting it at this point it's here it is um it took and, a while <laughs> and it's here in full force it takes a while but at least you get a really cool creature effect like you get like tentacles writhing and the thing has like a hole in the middle of it that has like a light emitting from it. It's wild. It's crazy. And so this guy gets stabbed in the neck a few times. It's very bloody. And um and he dies. And the and you're like, what the fuck? Now Anna's a murderer. She is a she's a murderer. She's she's killing people. Is that what she's doing when she's not at home? Yeah. The teacher comes over to the house and to talk to Mark about Bob and Heinrich, this is the same time Heinrich shows up, right? And he's like, wants to know if Anna is is with uh, Mark, is at home with Mark. And he's acting really yes. weird. I could not tell if he's supposed to be drunk, uh, if he's supposed to be on drugs, or if it's just supposed to be uh, over a t- over the top like reaction to not having Anna because he's flailing, stumbling, flailing against the wall. It's so dramatic. It's so dramatic. I think he's supposed to be on uh, on a drug because I mean the drug aspect gets brought up a few times up until his very last scene, um, and so I think he's supposed to be on drugs, which is why he so boldly just shows up at the house and is demanding where Anna is. Um, 
and Mark kind of plays along with it to get more information out of it, though he does say he's sick of his yin-yang nonsense. And he uh, also tells Mark, he also tells Heinrich that, you know what, I, I was scared of you, but I don't think I am anymore. And this is, you get this line where Heinrich responds to him by saying, well, there's nothing to fear except God, whatever that means to you. And Mark's response is, well, for me, God's a disease. So now you get some religion stuff thrown in the film pretty blatantly. Yeah. And Heinrich's response to that is perhaps that's why through disease we find God. You know, which is, I mean, like, there are, for as absurd and weird as this movie gets, every once in a while there will be a piece of dialogue or a moment where I'm like, ooh, that, like, is actually quite insightful and it hits really well. And, I mean, I see why this movie has a following because as strange as it is, it I can't think of anything like it. I can't think of anything like this movie. And when it does hit, it hits. And there's a few moments that hit coming up. Um, apparently, uh, apparently Mark has managed to woo the teacher, Helen, who is... And his doppelganger. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm a teacher. I'm in education. This teacher's crossing the line. <laughs> she stays to do the dishes. She stays to give Bob a bath. She's like, and then they 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 literally have sex. They get in bed naked, and um, she tells. Oh, she also tells Mark that Bob. The reason why she came over to talk to, about Bob, even though it's like nine o'clock at night, is because Bob wakes up during his nap time and he screams and she can't get him to stop. Uh, so as they're laying in bed naked together after she stays and d- does the dishes and cleans the house, Bob actually wakes up screaming for his mom, mommy, mommy, mommy. And then I guess it's the next day because Mark is at home and then the a, another private detective shows up and it's basically says that, hey, I, I um, need to find out where your wife lives because my this, the other detective that works with me hasn't come home. Uh, and you find out basically that the real reason this private detective wants to find out where his other partner is is because they are a gay couple. They're lovers. He he grabs Mark's hand and he says, uh, I need to find him because I live with him. And hopefully you'll understand. Yeah, he, he mm-hmm. basically is like, hopefully that'll be enough reason for you to understand why I need to have this address for myself. And so and that convinces Mark to give him the address. And so he goes over to Anna's apartment and he finds her and she's mopping the floor. He asks her if she's seen, if he's seen this man, he shows her a picture and she's like, oh yeah, he's... He's in the back. He's in the room, the back room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his name's Zimmerman. He's actually the gentleman who, whom Mark originally went to to book the private investigator. He's like the main detective. Yes. Um, and yes. so he does have, like, you do see him a few times throughout this leading up to this. His presence is, is around. Um, but so when he, he shows up at the house and he finds Anna, he does, I mean, she's acting progressively stranger and stranger over the course of the film. At this point, she's already kind of just bat shit out of it and so he literally says to her uh he's like you're scaring me um and and so she points him in the direction of the bedroom and he walks into the bedroom and he just sees right there on the bed the starfish vagina creature fully <laughs> sprawled out 
writhing. It's fully sprawled out. And Anna comes in behind him and she's like, oh, he's so tired. He made love to me all night. This does have to be the storyline. Because the last thing I want to know about is her banging this thing. But you get, oh, how you get it. It's <laughs> yeah, she's very confident in the fact that she's been taking this entity in, in the, the physical way. Um, and um, so Zimmerman turns and finds uh, his lover Manuel in the corner. You see his legs. You don't exactly see what what's fully happened to him, but it's enough to cause him to react. And so he turns with his gun to shoot Anna um, and, and he misses her. He shoots and it go. It breaks the window behind her and she looks at him and she begins to convulse and scream and yell and starts beating him over the head with a glass bottle. <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a piece of like plaster. I thought from the is w- it? It's like a plaster um, chunk of plaster or some sort of plaster statue because when she's beating him with it, it's like ex- it's like exploding chunks all over his head. And then yeah, and then she takes his gun and shoots him t- three times in the torso. Yeah, and he he dies in a, it's pretty. It's honestly one of the better scenes in the movie. This whole sequence because he kind of just drops, and as he's dying out, you hear um, you hear the sound of like the tentacle creature in the background, like <laughs> like it's it's pretty gross. Um, but it's a really good sequence, and I, I really thought. This is a point where you're just kind of realizing just how far gone Anna really is, you know, under the influence of this vagina monster. And so this transitions over to a sequence where Mark is watching tapes of <laughs> uh, old tapes of Anna. Um, and this is another moment that kind of threw me off a bit when I first saw it because I was oh, my, me too. confused me too. by how he procured these tapes because uh, in, in, as he's watching it, you see a, like a, a throwback to her teaching ballet and she's really just focusing in on this one poor girl and forcing her to do a position that she just cannot do. And this girl is screaming and groaning in pain and all the other girls around her looking uncomfortable. And I, and I guess it's supposed to show the progressive downhill decline of Anna's state is this how did you register this sequence well it would have been nice to know like how long ago this this was supposed to have happened we didn't really get any at least I, I don't remember it I could have missed it we really didn't get anything about Anna being a teacher or a dance teacher so this just seems like random and right. it, I, I wanted to know like what the context behind this particular movie was who was filming it and what was the purpose? Because she literally is making right. this little girl cry and scream by making her lift her leg up as high as she can. And like Anna's forcing it to stay there. And this little girl is like screaming and crying. And once she lets the little girl go, she takes off. The little girl runs out crying. And then Anna is just like randomly like staring at the yeah. camera, rambling about faith and chance. Faith and chance, faith and chance, faith and faith, faith, faith or chance, and then yeah. like good, uh, good news being a reflection of evil. Good news, and just who is filming this and what's it for? I can't imagine. This could not be a, like a commercial for her dance studio. I hope because I would not go there. Okay, At, <laughs> yes, right. Like, maybe we should come back another day. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she does say she expresses in in the second segment where she's just having this yeah breakdown in front of the camera, and she's just. She's basically mumbling nonsense, but she expresses that she's afraid of herself because she's the maker of her own evil. 
Um, and, and so, um, and, and I have to point out, at this point in the movie, she has been wearing one dress the entire time. It's a blue dress. It's a very nice dress, but it's all she wears the entire film. And, and it's this blue dress that goes, this dress is put through the ringer. This dress has so much liquid and fluid and blood and shit on it, but she doesn't change once. Um, Mark comes back to the apartment and Anna is just cuckoo bananas. She's gone. <laughs> she's putting clothes in the refrigerator. The apartment's a mess and she's trying to pick, she's picking up piles of clothes and shoving in them in the refrigerator. Folding, she's like, starts folding random sheets and just start doing, she starts doing weird shit with her hands, like flailing her hands as she's talking. And then she literally breaks down uh, on the couch with him. And it's a pretty amazing acting performance by her. I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to stop right here and say, I have to acknowledge that this performance by Isabel Ajani is one of the best, I think, female performances that you could, that maybe has ever been captured on film. Uh, I know she won the Cannes Film Festival Best Actress Award for this. How she didn't get an Oscar nomination, I guess it's because it was such a f- out there film. But what she does in this film, I've never seen another actress do. Yeah, she's so physical with her her yes. performance and progressively more and more so throughout the course of the movie. So you're constantly kind of just like, she's kind of like one-upping herself scene to scene because it gets, it gets wild. It, it, she goes places that are just pretty mind-blowing and this whole time this he tells he has her come he's like he wants to sit with her calmly and she sits with him but she's like physically convulsing and it's very much like to me that she's fighting something at times yeah There's part of yeah. her that's fighting whatever is possessing her you know um and she and and you'll notice at the beginning of the sequence she's very uh, um, sporadically seizuring and everything and convulsing. But by, by the time she's done telling the story, she's about to tell she's very calm. And it's, it seemed like a very intentional choice, but she tells him a story that you see via flashback. And this leads into a sequence that I would say is, if there's one scene in this movie that this film was notorious for, or considered iconic within this film, is this sequence. It's the sequence of her grabbing the groceries um, and walking through the subway. And um, she basically is confessing that this sort of invisible forces have been consuming her. And so it starts with her at, at like a church looking at a statue of Jesus. And she starts groaning and, and making these little groans. And it's very clear that she's like struggling against this, but the groans are kind of growing throughout the sequence and becoming more and more obvious. And it's a, a really creepy moment. It's a great moment. It's very simple. It's just back and forth between her and the statue of Jesus. But um, it, it very much makes it clear that she's struggling with something. There is something that she's fighting against. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So the statue of Jesus, she's whining and groaning at it. And then she gets to the subway. This is the Berlin subway. This was filmed on location in Berlin. So it's, it's, it's very grimy looking it's dark it's it's dingy um and she is walking through the subway with her groceries and all of a sudden she just starts laughing hysterically uh and then she drops the groceries and then it turns into her like throwing herself against the, the wall of the subway and then it just gets progressively more physical and disturbing where she starts yeah grunting flailing her but i don't even know how you would explain this scene this has to be seen to be believed i don't know i really want to know 
what her direction was, how she did this. Uh, because you you have to realize that this was done probably in multiple takes and to force your body to do this physical, I, I don't even know what you would call it. It is a, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, that's all I can say is she is doing shit that I've never seen another actress do. And it's horrifying. And it ends with her collapsing on the ground on her knees and blood and she's bleeding from everywhere uh, like it's coming out of her does it coming out of her ears because it's coming down her it's coming down her neck she starts yes yeah she's leaking from all of her orifices she's throwing up throwing up foam and she starts she has a miscarriage right there in the middle of the subway and it when it, it is pouring out of her it's like pus and foam and blood it's disgusting it is a scene that definitely is one of the toughest to watch and again i just have to be in awe for uh, for of her performance and her dedication to to this because i again don't know how she did it i, I just i don't know it's 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 a sight to behold so Again, Oscar nominations should have happened for this film. I know we talk about all the time horror fans talk about horror film or performances from horror films that get overlooked for Oscars. This definitely was one of them. Definitely was one of them. Yeah, yeah. It's animalistic. It's guttural. Her screams, like the echoes within the subway. It's just everything about this sequence um, culminates to form the the perfect moment in the in in its discomfort and its just overall horror factor it, it's it's terrifying and and so um and then the, when this when this flashback ends as i mentioned she's finishing the story and she's completely calm she's not seizuring anymore she's not twitching she has like full control over herself for a moment um but it strikes me that mark does not really i mean doesn't believe her you know it, it strikes me that he um i mean obviously hearing the story for the first time he's, he thinks that she's just telling a crock of shit and so she storms from the house she storm. He tells her to take off the ring, and she storm. Yeah, she storms from the house. And Heinrich then goes to her apartment, and he wants to have sex with her. And it's he's being kind of rapey, like he's really being aggressive, like grabbing her, like trying to pull her dress up. Um, and at this moment, she's like leading him towards the bedroom, and he goes into the bedroom, and of course, there is another creature there. This is a different creature, right? Because there's there's two creatures because what he there's the one the octopus thing is still on the bed. This is a different thing. It's like sitting against the wall and it literally looks like a giant penis. Like it's it has a it's just like this giant penis shaped thing and it it gets the camera like inches towards it and you can kind of see it has eyes but they're like at the they're on the side of its penis head and it's like sitting there and it's like. There's some reaction that Heinrich has, like he goes blind for for a minute. Did you catch that? He's like, I can't see. I can't see. And she stabs him in the chest with the fucking knife. Yeah, this whole sequence is really wild. I think and I, you know, this is at one point where he as he's trying to seduce her into the room. And I think he almost thinks that she's like. On, under the influence of drugs or something, which he's done with her because he he pulls out a bag of, of something and he's like showing it to her thinking like, oh, this is what you want. So he kind of follows her thinking that she's just being all up on his level, you know, but she's really just fucking possessed out of her mind and he doesn't register that. When he walks into the room, what I almost took it as was that 
the creature was it seems to me that this thing is evolving i mean you know what i mean it's evolving over the course because one of the next sequences coming up it has hair yeah but when when he runs out she goes into she goes back into the bedroom and um there's the 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 other creature the octopus creature is on the bed so i thought there was two because it's two different bedrooms oh yeah i mean honestly i don't know maybe for me to have seen this movie again and still not been able to piece together (laughs) a and b with these things is not shocking because this movie is a mind fuck so uh you're probably right you're probably right who the fuck knows what's really going on in this movie but yeah either way uh, heinrich ends up getting stabbed in the shoulder and it's pretty dramatic because he's wearing an all-white suit and it just gets everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then um, the yeah because she, she goes into the bedroom that the the creature, the octopus creature, is on the bed, and she starts undressing. <laughs> and then it cuts. To, yeah. Then it cuts to Heinrich calls Mark, and he um, basically he goes to Anna's apartment, and he finds um, like body parts and stuff in the refrigerator. Like there's a head, there's like the private investigator's head and like arms and limbs that, that are in the refrigerator. Of course, he freaks out and he goes and finds, uh, he, or he meets Heinrich at a bar, right? And this is when he, they discuss in the bathroom that she's killing people. And Mark acts like he doesn't believe them, even though he just found the bodies in the, in the refrigerator. Um, but while Heinrich, well, I think he thinks that he's been doing it is what I'm oh, assuming. Is that what you take? No, away from I it? thought that he, that, that he almost thinks. Oh, that. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't interpret that that way. I interpreted it from the fact. I, I, I wasn't sure if at first he maybe thought Heinrich was involved because he says to him about him being on drugs and everything. Like he brings up a few things in this conversation and, and Heinrich is, is like, I want to, uh, if you want to keep me quiet, you have to pay me. If you don't want me to go to the police, you have to pay me. I know you have the money. So it's, it, yeah, I don't know exactly his motivation for why he does what he does coming up here. But I guess in a way, maybe to, t- to cover things up for Anna because he loves her that much. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because as Heinrich is still talking about Anna and what they're going to do about it, Mark is clogging a toilet. Uh, he clogs the toilet and then he acts like he is throwing up and he's like Heinrich I need you in here I need you in here and when Heinrich gets into the bathroom or in the stall he bashes him in the head with the toilet lid and then proceeds to drown him in the toilet bowl and then he scatters the drugs all around yeah he makes to make it to make it look like um an accident yeah which I don't mean I'm sorry I don't buy that that's a fucking accident either way because that's a very elaborate setup I mean like the toilet's like overflowing uh, it's filled with blood. Doesn't he sho- shove a shoe into the toilet? Yes. Yeah. So that's clogged. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's. It's. I mean. But either way, he kills Heinrich. So, and I guess we're led to assume that this is because he is so madly in love with Anna that he's trying to cover up the tracks that would make it imply that she's the one that's been doing these murders. I guess is is the setup. Um, again, this is where you really see his spy secret agent angle coming out this is this is where it kind of resurfaces a little bit is is the next chapter of the film because he he goes back to anna's apartment and blows it up he fucking he <laughs> blows this he up. blows the apartment well, he does up. find the heads and the arms and he loses his shit 
Because this is here's here's what I was you and I we're gonna have a, a quick little discussion about this because this is how I took it. I took it that at first he thought Heinrich was bullshitting him and trying to get money from him, so he killed Heinrich. Then he goes back to this apartment and finds the fucking heads and the arms in the fridge, and he has that very dramatic reaction where he's like, "Holy shit!" And he's spinning around, and the camera's spinning around him. Then he throws the windows open, and then he's breathing, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And then he like looks at the camera, he's like, "Fuck it, I gotta blow it up." And he just blows it up. He's like, "You know what? I'm gonna cover her tracks. We're gonna make it work because I love her that much." But yeah, it's it's a weird twist. Yeah, and then he goes back home and. For some reason now, Margie is there, but her her throat has been slit. So apparently, Anna killed Mar- has killed has slit Margie's throat. Um, I don't know. She cleans she cleans him up and asks him if he believes in God. So God is brought up again. They have se- do they have sex? They have sex, right? It's it's sort of implied, and they're they're like we have to protect each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the dialogue in this is very. Um almost Shakespearean at times. Have you noticed that? It's very flowery. I wonder if that's intentional because like this is almost taking like a star-crossed lovers kind of turn. You know, like uh, his decision to assist her uh, covering up a lot of the the tracks and everything. It's just, it's, it's, um, it seems like he's going to stick by her no matter what, no matter what happens. And uh, it, it does. It takes a really strange turn for this final chapter of the movie. So um, he's covering up this, the, the, this, the tracks for her. He tells her to take Heinrich's motorcycle and leave and meet up with him. But um, she ends up not meeting with him. Um, and, and he's basically trying to tell her that he's going to cover mm-hmm. up all the bodies for her and everything. But at this point, there's like three people who are dead who are directly tied to her. So I have no idea how they're thinking they're going to manage that. But so... Then he gets a phone call from Heinrich's mother, lest lest we forget. And this dame's a fucking sleuth. And so she's figuring out that he's involved with her son's death because she recently found out about it. And she had the address because her son had not come home. So he goes to her house, actually. Uh, and she answers the door and he's, she's like, Heinrich's dead, isn't he? And he's like, yeah. And she there's a sad scene where this old lady is like, well, I can't live without him. And she proceeds to take pills and kill herself and he does not try to stop her <laughs> he she takes some pills lays in bed and he just sits there and holds her hand while she dies it's like what the fuck why is it what is going on i don't understand yeah she takes like a handful of the of pills and lays down in what appears to be a, a lovely lux, luxury curio hotel it's a beautiful environment if i'm going to take myself out i want to go out in that fucking room um but yeah it's, it's a really sad moment and uh it's it's a very um, different tone from everything else that's been going on. And then he goes, well, then then he goes back to the apartment and finds Anna literally getting fucked by the octopus creature. Who is starting to become more human. It is on top of her going to town. Oh, my God. You get the whole thing. And she's moaning and groaning and you hear this thing sliming around. And she looks at Mark and just says, almost. Almost. She says almost a bunch of times. I don't know if that's supposed to be. I know what it means now. I, 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 I did not know, but now I do know what she's talking about. Because, what do you think? Because the more she has sex with him, the more human it becomes. And at the end of the film, it's it's let's. I'm going to spoil the end of the film. But we're almost yeah. there anyway. The film's almost over. The end of the film, you find out that this thing becomes Mark. It's his doppelganger. 
So her saying almost means that it's almost you. I'm doing, I'm, we're fucking, it's almost, it's almost you. It's almost you. It's almost you. That's how I took it. And I'm pretty sure I'm right. No, I think, I think, no, I think you are right. I think, I think that this is a, one of those uh, moments in the movie where up to this point, this film has been mind boggling, but having seen it a few times and being able to kind of analyze it, this is where you kind of start to realize those undercurrents, the uh, the hidden meanings. Yeah. Uh, this is where they really start to come to the surface. And the whole thing with this toxic relationship and that he finds someone who is just like her in this developing relationship with this Helen who happens to look identical to his wife. There's all of these meanings that are coming to the surface and they really boil over during this final chapter, uh, especially this, this sequence. Yeah, it's a real jarring sequence and it's it really... But then... The film now, again, this next scene shifts tone completely. It goes to the next day and there's a dead dog in the river that Mark's watching. And the uh, his employer that we met from the first part of the film shows up. And um, now the score changes to like almost action movie type. It's like yeah. this very yes. action movie score. And Mark runs away from this guy and gets into a taxi and the, the, the taxi get he makes the taxi run into a police car. There's a shootout with a cop. He gets shot through the, the through the shoulder, like violently. He gets shot and he actually shoots and kills a I'm like, where is this coming from? How are the police not hot on his trail to begin? But what with? but what why where is this coming from? It just comes out of the blue. Cars are exploding, motorcycles are crashing. Uh, he shoots a cop. He runs back to the apartment building uh, and get and climbs the stairs. And she's just bleeding profusely. Now Anna shows up and she is with Mark's doppelganger. Like he is there now, and he, the the creature has become Mark. Mark pulls a gun to try to shoot this creature, and the police below open fire and shoot not only him but Anna. And Anna like falls on, falls to the floor, and then. She crawls on top of Mark and gets the gun, arches her back, and shoots herself through the back to kill herself. And then Mark throws himself off the damn balcony, killing himself. The whole It's a very action-packed ending. And you do see, like, one of the guys that shows up to, like, one of the police officers or whoever is there that's, like, just, he goes down to see Mark's dead body. And he lifts his pant leg up to scratch his leg, and he's wearing pink socks. Which obviously ties into the spy element. Which obviously means that he was the guy that was that Mark was was sent on the mission to spy on. Very odd. So now they're both dead, and the the Mark creature, the Mark doppelganger, like climbs up the the, the a wall and like gives this lady a gun and tells her to shoot it. Just randomly, and he's like climbing up the doorway, and she's loving it. Oh, she's she, loving like, it. She he 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 takes no coercement whatsoever to get her to shoot this gun. She's like biting on her lower lip. She's like, "I'm I'm ready." Um, and then she, he like steps on her shoulder. She like, yeah, yes, to help to get yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> well, and then weird. Well, then then the next scene is very weird. Now the teacher is home, and for a teacher salary, this bitch lives in a very nice house. <laughs> Well, isn't she staying at his apartment? I don't. This does. Own? This doesn't look like his apartment. Okay, this is apartment. This Got looks it. like a completely different. She's a lovely home because little Bob runs upstairs, and their apartment did not have an upstairs. Their apartment had a bath, the bathtub. 
Anyway, so she's there with Bob and the doorbell rings and Bob keeps saying, don't open, don't open, don't open, don't open, don't open. And she's like, oh, what did it just shut up, Bob? I'm going to answer the door. And the little boy is freaking out and he runs upstairs, gets into a bathtub and <laughs> apparently drowns himself, submerges himself face first in the bathtub. Uh, did he die? I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I, I don't know how, how long the little boy is planning on, but he does. In the meantime, she answers the door and or she, 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 when she gets to the door, they're like all these weird flashing lights and shit are, are going and she turns around. Obviously she sees something and behind her in the doorway, we see the doppelganger Mark, like, like doing this like spider crawl up the door window. And then the yeah. film ends. That's the end of the film. It's very surreal it's, it's very, very surreal it's yeah um the whole sequence in that the stairwell like first of all when he's driving on that motorcycle and he's been shot through the back like at, i i have no idea how this man can even operate a motorcycle let alone make it this far but he pushes himself to the very end and he's climbing this spiral staircase and i don't know exactly what the symbolism of this location is where are they do we know? Is it is it just a random location? I don't know. I thought it was. Her. So I don't know how she finds him. But uh, so uh, this whole final moment, after all this shit happens and they get shot, um, they ha- they share this moment where they like have this bloody, disgusting kiss, and it's like, oh yeah, it's just they're both bleeding from the mouth and they're like spitting up on each other and everything, and it is just stomach churning it's so gross and i i really feel at that final moment it's one of those things where you see like you know this whole time this man that she's been with has been just a a clone of him and and at the end of the day they are like unable to really escape each other you know yeah well and then yeah and the fact that he is having a, a relationship with somebody that looks exactly like her and then she's been fucking this creature to make it turn into him. It's just, it, yeah, it's like they, they these two are like intertwined. Uh, it's their fate to be intertwined together. Well, she says there's two versions. There's at the one point where she's telling that story. She says that, and that they're looking yeah. right at her, and it's faith and chance, you know, faith and, and chance. Um, yeah. And she has let go of her faith completely. But so this, you know, the Helen version of her seems to be like the positive elements of her and the maternal elements of her. And um, yeah, this ending, it really is mind boggling at the end where you just kind of you hear the sound of like war going on outside. And what do you what did you piece together from that final moment? What did you take away with that? I mean, I really don't know, because it it can't be mark that she's or the mark doppelganger she's looking at because he's behind her so she is looking he's behind her she's looking the other way so i'm assuming maybe it's uh another creature that showed up that now she has to turn into him i I don't i i don't know what the ending means i really that was my i guess that's my dumb self's interpretation of it that now another creature showed up that now she's responsible for um turning into another mark yeah i i'm curious if 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 you look at the overall progression both of the original incarnates of these characters die you know uh, mark and anna both die physically die um but the the concept of of this doppelganger exists with both of them manifested in different ways 
you know, he finds it through the teacher, Helen, who is symbolic of everything he wants Anna to be. She's, she seems like the perfect female love interest. You know, she's caring of the kid. She takes care of, of the child and the home right away without question. You notice that? Like she just jumps to the responsibilities of, of being the ideal partner. And in, in contrast, Anna um, talks about how the fact that she feels nothing for him anymore and, and that there's no intimacy between them. And she's literally like developing this alternate lover by evolving him into what she wants the husband to be. You know, as you see the this creature progressively throughout the course of the film, he becomes more and more humanoid um, until he's finally shown to be Mark in his perfect form. So now at the end of the movie, you have this moment where the uh, doppelganger, the other form is now at the door. And when he arrives and, and Helen goes to answer the door, I wonder if it symbolizes that they are going to have the exact same destructive tendencies and and hostile tendencies that the original couple had because they can't avoid that. And the kid knows it because he all he's ever seen is his parents be toxic to one another. And no matter what you do to develop the perfect, you know, uh, the perfect, uh, how can I word this? You, you can try to make your partner into the ideal of what you want them to be. But if it's, if it's toxic, if it's not meant to be, no matter what, you can't really shake that or fix it. That it is what it is. And that's going to haunt you. And you could try to pretend that your lover is, is because become your idyllic form of what you want. But if it's a toxic relationship, it's just not meant to be. And so now that the two, alternate versions of Anna and Mark have found each other, is it going to be the exact same thing? The de exact same destructive tendencies? That could be it too. I just wonder what she was looking at behind her. And then on the flip side of that, it's pretty apparent that she's going to find out that Mark was killed, right? I mean, so even the, so the doppelganger showing up at her house to, to kind of now court her or take possession of her, yeah. uh, She's going to know, I mean, the news I'm assuming is going to be like, hey, these two people were shot by the police. And so she's going to know he, that the real Mark was really dead. So I don't know. I'm looking, I'm trust me, I'm looking way too into the end, like the, this, but that's, but I don't know. I think you're, you're, you're making a very good point as well. I think that could very well be it. I guess the really great thing about this film is how many different ways it could be interpreted, you know? And another thing to acknowledge about all of this playing in with, with, all these mysterious messages is the pink socks. Yeah. I want to say that in the er the early meeting, when he, that question comes up, uh, it's, a, it's a specific group of guys and, you know, they're trying to get him to come back to, to finish his, his task and what have you. And he's demanding his replacement. And then when he's being courted again to come back to his job, it's by the man who ends up revealing he's in the pink socks um, so I wonder if he's actually doing work against the company he works for, for an alternate company, like almost like he's, he's like a mole or something. It's all these weird, unexplained little things that like, I wonder how that's going to play into it. I wonder how that's going to tie into whatever happens afterward. You know, it, it's, 
it's a it's a weird fucking movie, but you know it's a it's a very striking movie and it sticks with you. It makes you think afterwards. Well, you know what? Here's the thing: is I when I first saw this movie, when I first tried to watch it, I hated it. I I did not. Yeah. I think I even messaged you and said, uh, "Yeah, I might hate this movie." <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, because I just wasn't expecting it to be what it is, uh, and. It's just so out there and so weird and nothing is explained really at all. Like it's never explained where these creatures were from, how, what, you know, anything like that. You don't get any explanation. I was just like, I wasn't invested in the characters because they just felt like they were both super annoying. And I just screaming. It was, it's very, it's a very shrill movie. Um, It's a very shrill movie. So I just was not a fan. I watched it again and I was a little bit more engaged. Uh, and then I watched it the third time and I'm like, okay, it's, it's, I can kind of see what it's doing. And, and there are things that make a little bit more sense if you watch it more than once. And now talking about it mm-hmm. and going through the film like we have, I, I definitely feel like I like it a lot more. It's not for everybody. It is a, it really is to me, and I'll still stick to what I said. It feels like a potpourri or a hodgepodge of just random stuff kind of thrown into a script to see what would stick. And some of it works really well. Some of it really doesn't. Um, you, yeah. this will, and you, yeah. you, this will be a film that unlike any film you've ever seen. Um, and some people might not even be able to make it through the film, to be honest with you. I, I struggled the first half hour of this film, the first time I watched it, I struggled. I'm like, I thought I was watching a horror movie. Uh, and this is a, uh, a movie with a couple that are trying to, that want to get separated and are screaming at each other for 30 minutes. I just can't deal with this. Um, and I thought the, the creature stuff was just so out of left field. And again, it just never explained um, at all. But if you can sit back and just give this movie a chance, I mean, I think it, it's, like you said, it's a striking movie. It it definitely makes you think. Uh, it is a movie you will definitely think about. And like I said, the performances. I- Isabella Ajani gives one of the greatest, you know, uh, performances I've seen in a horror film. Um, it's just something you have to see it to believe it. Is it over the top? Yes. But for this film, it works really well. So, I mean, my final thoughts on this film is I, I would definitely recommend it. It may be a tough watch. I, I would guarantee and I'm maybe I'm not giving a lot of younger horror film fans credit, but you know, you know, the younger horror film fans I'm talking about, the people that think like the conjuring is the greatest horror movie of all time, or, or you know what I'm the little, they would not get, they would right. not like this film. Um, it's an art house horror film to the extreme, right. but it's also a genre bending film that is doing something that you're just never going to see done again. And it was never done before this film. I still don't know what the film means. I still don't. I mean, but hey, I I at least respect what it was doing. And (laughs) and I I definitely have much more respect for it the more times I watched it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll say I think one of the things this is a very different conversation than the last few we've had. But I think this is a film that, like, you're meant to watch a few times and discuss. And, like, this is a movie that is meant to be interpreted. Like, the last couple movies we've watched were very straight to the point. You know what you're seeing. There's not a lot of hidden messages. This is all internalized and meant to be translated 
depending person to person and who is watching it. There are so many messages. Like you've got to translate it for yourself, what you take away from it. I was trying to do some read up on, you know, what the real message was behind this film. And there's, it's yet to really be deciphered completely. I think it's, and I think that's intentional. I think that this really at its core is the journey of, of a couple that they're basically manifest that in their own destructive ways. And I think that the tentacled creatures relationship is just crumbling under the weight of their own issues. And they symbolizes a lot between the two of them. I don't think, as I said earlier, that there's really an, an uh, a protagonist in this film. I think it's two really like kind of just destructive antagonists uh, who are their own downfall and are destroying each other. And it really is a powerful film. And the more you watch it, you know, we say it every time, you should watch the movie before you listen to our reviews. But this one, the more you watch it, the more you come away with an idea of, wow, there is something more there. And there's something, you know, I'm meant to decipher for myself. And and that's what I think is powerful about this movie is you can walk away with a lot of different opinions and who's to say what's right or wrong, but it definitely leaves you feeling something. Yeah, I'm going to say this movie is this movie is an experience that needs to be uh, that needs to be experienced and whatever you're I mean, I don't know. I think people will bring different things to this film, as you should with any film, any any film that is trying to do something as a moviegoer, moviegoers are always going to bring their own personal experiences to a film. But I think that when we talk about this film, this is a film that definitely where that is certainly the case. I mean, people that have been in relationships, you know, that have been challenging, stressful, they're going to bring different things into this film and they're going to react to this film a lot differently than maybe somebody that's never actually been in a relationship. Because I do feel like at the, under the surface, one of the major themes in this film is has to do with, with relationships and um, how when you let them, how they can consume you in a not, not a good way. So, but if you've never experienced a relationship, you're not going to really get that from this film, but it's there very heavily. So like I said, at the end of the day, I definitely would recommend watching this film. Give it a chance. Watch it more than once. It's It needs to be seen more than once to be, to, to be interpreted. And again, I don't think there's any right or wrong interpretation of this film um, in terms of what we've talked about or what others may may think because experiences are going to cloud what how you ultimately view what this film is really about what the message really is yeah and you know what i'll say is i i i know that this film was a compelling watch for me revisit for me mm-hmm. um in the fact that even now and we've already had our conversation really about this and we're wrapping it up but i there's certain things that i'm looking back on them like hmm i'm thinking about this this and this because my mind is still spinning. My, the, it's, I'm still thinking about the movie. Even when I'm, I, I'm coming up on the conclusion of this conversation for myself, I'm still thinking, oh, I wonder, like, like I'm thinking in my mind, like, Sam Neill's decision to cover up all of these murders, even though he knew his wife was doing it. You know, at one point I thought he was killing Henrik because he was kind of almost assuming that he had involvement. But now I'm thinking, no, I think he's very intentionally covering up the, the, the mistakes his wife is making, no matter how big of an error it may be, how, you know, grotesque it may be. She's killing men and putting them in a fridge, and he's still 
going out of his way to blow up her apartment, to cover up her tracks. It just, it shows how unhealthy they are, this couple is. And God, there's so much to take away from this. Every every little thing you can really analyze for hours. So, I, I mean, we're wrapping this up, but I really, this movie makes me think, it, it really makes my uh, my wheels turn. And I, I do think this was a, a cool conversation to have with you because there's a totally different vibe from the last few uh, reviews we did. Yeah, so that is that's possession. Um, great, gr- really a good experience. It, definitely, I'm glad I finally got to see this film because it is yeah. a film I've heard talked about uh, many times in the past. It comes up on some lists of greatest horror films. It's certainly greatest horror performances. I've seen Isabella Gianni's name on that list. So yeah, I got to watch it finally. Yes, perfect. And we got we had a great conversation. So, uh, what is your next pick? Do you want to tell the audience? Yeah, well, I I had told you uh, like what I was thinking of, but I strayed, Uh-oh. Troy. Uh-oh. I've strayed. Um, here's the thing: I feel like I like, I've picked like some like not obscure, but I've been like I'm gonna lean kind of art house, and I've been very much going for like the '80s. We've done a few films from the '80s now, so I said, "Fuck it, let's just do something totally different, and something that like is going to be fun and fanciful." How do you feel about discussing? the 2003 remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, okay. I'm down. I'm down. That is not, that's one that you've never mentioned to me that you've wanted to do. So I'm shocked because I've seen your list and I don't remember that being on there, but that is a great one. I have very fond memories of that film. I saw it on opening day in the movie theater and I walked out of that film completely disturbed but we will we, i do i will i will say i think it is one of the best remakes out there so i'm we will have Same. a wonderful conversation and i will fight anybody oh my tooth that. and nail that that yeah. it is one of the best remakes oh absolutely i i remember i, I saw it multiple times in theaters and don't ever come for jessica beale don't <laughs> yeah. ever come if you come for jessica beale you're coming for me so we got problems because i think this movie is ideal it's perfect in every way <laughs> Yes, so good. <laughs> the cast is so pretty too. Oh my god, I love them! And just uh, what a good casting job all around. You have no annoying guy in a wheelchair, nope. screeching I've... the entire fucking movie. Sally, <laughs> <laughs> just I hate him. I love him, but I hate I hate to love him. I love Franklin. Him. Oh, yeah. Franklin! God, I've never <laughs> wanted anybody to die in a wheelchair before. That fucker. God. <laughs> But yeah, though I thought this would be fun just because yeah, it's a little more recent. Yes. It's different from the the vibe of that I we've been straying wait. into. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I'm excited. Yeah. Yes, awesome. I love that movie. This will be a great conversation. Yes. Cool. And just a totally different this was this movie, like this isn't this was not a film that we could be like light and fanciful about. This was like insightful and this was not a fun <laughs> film to watch to be honest with you it wasn't really one that i was like oh my god this is how fun i'm having such a great time watching it no but i felt that diehard fans would be impressed that we uh decided to tackle it because it is it's a rough, like i said in the beginning it's a rough watch and it's a rough watch because of the material so yeah i mean i i think that our fans will be appreciative and if they are appreciative i'm sure They'll be lending their thoughts and opinions and leaving some love on our podcast. Yeah, on, on Apple on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating, guys. It literally takes you know a second if you have if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just hit that little five star button or whatever you're doing and sh- you know 
If you're, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a share on social media or a shout out. We really appreciate it. So, yeah, that was possession. And until next week, we will get we will get an episode out next week. Even though next weekend is going to be hectic for me, I do. We need to get the episode out, and it will be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yes, yes, yes. And maybe you can uh, record a little footage from your festival, and maybe we could get a little special hello from one of our favorite. Uh, favorite celebrity cameos who knows what you can pull off with your powers (laughs) all right troy what a pleasure i'm sure we're going to have a pleasant dreams after talking about possession Uh, on that note (laughs) you you must be happy you're single at this point yes (laughs) all right well till next time guys leave us some love and we will be seeing you on our next episode of dark night of the podcast yes guys good night